If you want to turn in your Bibles to Second Peter chapter three, I want to finish. So I'd um, started going through Second Peter. I'd done the first two chapters, and I want to finish up the third chapter. Um, and yeah, I guess it's been a while. Um, Jerry actually was kind enough to take my place last time, so it's been I don't know six or seven weeks since I've been up here. So um, when we were moving. Yeah, I just thought it'd be best if I focus on that and then get back to this. So in chapter one, we learned, um, so Peter is writing to the believers of that day, um, reminding them that because of or as old of their faith, that they have peace with God. And he gives them, or because of this faith, um, that Christ gives us great and precious promises, which would be life eternal and forgiveness of sin. And then Peter goes on and says, but don't just stay with faith. He says, perfect it or put it into practice. So add to your faith virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. And Peter assures us that if we do these things, that we will never fall, that we will be granted an entrance into heaven. It means that, not that we will never fall away, but that we will never, um, there, there's no, nothing else that would stop us from, from going into the kingdom of heaven. And Peter wrote them, or wrote this letter to them to encourage them and to remind them of the truth. Truth that Peter explained is rooted in the word of God, words that the prophets spoke. And so Peter has us, or would advise us, to settle our faith in the word of God. It is secure. And then, in going into chapter 2, Peter explained that just like there was good prophets, that there will be false prophets that would come trying to persuade people from the truth. And it's interesting that Peter doesn't go into what all the false prophecies are. He just says that here's the root of what um, false prophets would have you do. And he spoke pretty frankly, but a false prophet will be known by their works. Um, Not the list in chapter 1, but they will be known by... um, or they'll, they'll be known by their evil ways. They'll be rebellious, presumptuous, self-willed, immoral, covetous, and lovers of money. Um, and they're going to teach things that appeal to us. Um, they're going to teach fulfillment of the flesh, and that's going to be very appealing to us. And so <clears throat> they're going to promise us these great things, but the end of their teaching is death. And they're going to make merchandise of us. So they're going to make us give up this priceless gift that we have for something tangible, um, for temporary fulfillment of the flesh. And then Peter says that uh, swift destruction will come on the false teachers. And then that gets us into chapter 3. And I'll start at verse 1. This second epistle, beloved... Now I write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. So I want to notice the word beloved. And that, that word beloved appears five times in chapter 3. Um, four times he's talking about the people that he's writing to, and the fifth time he's talking about um, Apostle Paul. So imagine Peter gathering the church around, a church that he loves, and encouraging them in... Um, giving them some warning, but it's not in a, a harsh manner. 
It's not in a way that, that um, will drive people away. Peter is, he calls them beloved people. <clears throat> and in, um, in chapter 1, verse 14, he refers to his coming death. So I don't know how long after this epistle that, um, that he would have died, but it almost appears as that this is Peter's last um, words to the, to the people. And so think of it as a, a book of encouragement. And imagine, yeah, Peter with a smile on his face, um, giving the last words of encouragement to those that he has taught and those that he loves. For those that believe in the same cause that he does, the cause that's going to cost him his life. And I think that's a good lesson, maybe a side note, I guess, but a good lesson on how we should view the brotherhood um, with love and, and kindness wanting the best for them. Going back to chapter 1, verse 16 says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment, of us the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. So this is something that we face today. You might run in, well, you'll run into people. People will give you a variety of, of reasons or answers to the idea that Jesus is coming back. Um, and this is actually, so this is a prophecy, obviously, that hasn't been fulfilled yet. And I think it was probably a big deal back in, the, in that day. Um, imagine, so Jesus comes back, he's here on earth, and then he leaves, and he says, I'm coming again. And then it's a year, and then it's two years, and then it's five years, and it's ten years, and then it's 50 years. Where is the promise of his coming? I'm sure they wondered. And Peter addresses that. <clears throat> and today, it's been 2,000 years, over 2,000 years. <clears throat> so much has changed in 2,000 years. In fact, if you just take the last 200 years, imagine the change that has happened in the last 200 years. I'm not sure, may say some people, that Scripture is relevant anymore. Preachers have been saying since Peter's time that Christ is going to return, and he never does. <clears throat> I'm so tired of what it feels like a scare tactic, right? I think that after 2,000 years, it's time to quit hanging on to this thread of hope and accept the reality that even if Jesus did live and was here, that he must have changed his mind or uh, he gave up on humanity. Um, or maybe just the whole, throw out the whole thing. It's just not true. can't be true. It's been 2,000 years. Now, I don't believe that, but that may be something that you run into. Starting up in verse 5 here. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, Reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. 
And I want to read that in the ISV. It kind of simplifies it a little bit. It says, But they deliberately ignore the fact that long ago the heavens existed and the earth was formed by God's word out of water and with water. And so God created the world and he created it. um, Well, you know the story in in Genesis. Um, It was formed by God's word and it came out of the water. By which the world at that time was deluged with water and destroyed. So talking about the flood. Now, by that same word, or the the word that created the world, the word that promised the flood and it came, that same word, by now that same word, the present heaven and earth have been reserved for fire and are being kept for the day when ungodly people will be judged and destroyed. There are a lot of examples in scripture of our, our walk or our Christian life. Like we can look back to the children of Israel going through um, the wilderness and learn so many lessons, the same things we deal with today. Well, that's the same thing that this is. This is an example. And he's saying that these people are willingly ignorant of this fact that this happened. But it, it's exactly the way it is today. So these people before the flood were looking for a redemption, just like we are. We're looking for the second, we're looking for, for Christ to come and take us home. And that's what they were looking for. They were looking for Christ to come the first time to save them from their sin. That's what God had promised. But after, I don't know how long it was. It was a couple thousand years, I think. Um, There was nobody that was looking for redemption anymore. No one was looking for a redeemer except for Noah and his family. Everyone else had turned to fulfilling the flesh. They didn't believe it anymore. <clears throat> and Noah warned them. They didn't believe it. And I believe in a day, it, it may have been, you know, whenever the flood started to when the last person died, I don't know. But in a day, punishment came and the world was destroyed. In the same way for us, we look for our Redeemer to come, to return. And it seems like the day never comes. And it seems like that true spirit-filled believers are getting fewer and fewer. The ones that are practicing the list in chapter 1. But the day will come, starting at verse 8. But, beloved, again that word beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So it's not that Jesus is lazy. It's not that he's busy or doesn't care about the suffering. It's because he wants all to be saved. He's giving everyone an opportunity. Every day that he waits is another day, another chance for someone to be saved. He's not willing that any would perish. And, and look at this from both sides. So you may have somebody who's going through a time of suffering, whether it be physical suffering with sickness or maybe just, I don't know, hard times. Um, I mean, a, a bad example would be you have a hard day at work and you're just like, I just wish Jesus would come back. <laughs> well, there's, what if somebody is in a persecuted country and their family is, is murdered because of their faith? Or something like that, you may think, why does God allow this kind of suffering? Why doesn't God return? 
On the other side of that, what it, there might be a, a parent that has a wayward child, and they are working with them, and the child just doesn't quite believe, and they are begging God for one more day. We need one more day, because maybe salvation will come tomorrow. And God knows when he should come back, I guess. Um, <clears throat> so I guess be understanding to both sides. Every day, God is giving someone a chance to repent. Or maybe it's you that's sitting here, and God's giving you one more day to repent. I don't know. But this, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night, suddenly, in a time you're not expecting. Every day that we live is one day closer. It will happen. And the day of the Lord, I believe, is an, it's an easy way of, of condensing the whole end times or whatever, the rapture, the tribulation, and, and God's coming judgment. The day of the Lord is coming. Seeing then, verse 11, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. So seeing all these things that are going to happen, what kind of person should you be? Since every day is closer to the coming of the day of the Lord, a day closer to when the heavens will burn and the elements, the dirt, the water, the trees, everything on earth, the elements will melt with fervent heat. What manner of persons should you be in all holy conversation and godliness? And that word conversation means conduct. Verse 13, Nevertheless we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. So this is the believer's goal. This is what we look for. This is our hope. Nevertheless we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. He promised it. And just like the flood came, the end will come. Jesus like, or just like Jesus came eventually and paid the price for sin, so will he come again. John 14, verses 1 through 4 says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way, you know. So that's, that's what we're looking towards. That's what we're looking forward to. Verse 14. 
Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. So there's that word again, beloved. And be diligent. And there's that word again, diligent. That was in chapter 1, verse 10. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if these things... For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Here it says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. So we need the reminder to be diligent. Um, We struggle with the flesh. We struggle with the devil. We struggle with principalities and powers. And we need that reminder. And it's it's not a hard thing. It's a simple thing. If we have faith, if we work to put on the list in chapter 1, we'll make it. We'll be granted a entrance into heaven. That's it. And be diligent that you may, may be found of him in peace. And I, I want you to understand that we are not, like, when you, when you think about the coming of, of God, it can be kind of a fearful thing. And I don't want you to think that this morning. You are, if you are a believer, you have peace with God. There's nothing to be afraid of. <clears throat> We're not being held at arm's length. We're not barely making it. Um, the sin that has separated us from God is forgiven. It's gone. And we're again his sons and daughters. <clears throat> and without being without spot and blameless seems like a pretty lofty goal. And I, I wonder sometimes what it would be like if when God returns, or when Christ comes, what if he would catch me in a moment of, of, catch me in a moment of anger at my wife? Or feeding the flesh in some way? Or what if he would come back and find that I'm lazy and not pursuing scripture reading and prayer like I should? And what if he would pass me over because of a root of pride or some sin that I'm not willing to deal with, that I'm, I've not confessed? And this may stir up a little bit of fear, but again, that's not, the, that's not the goal. I believe that if we have faith and are putting on the fruit of the Spirit, that we are at peace and we are secure. We're not, I don't think we need to be perfect, but we need to be diligent. We need to be headed the right direction. And it's the one that doesn't have faith, or the one that had faith and fell away, that needs to be afraid. All right, moving on. Um, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless, and account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking of them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. So the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. And I'm glad that God is the judge, and God knows the right time to come back. And he knows when to give the last chance for someone, and when to when to and our suffering. 
If you think about it, if God had returned 100 years ago, you and I wouldn't exist. And if he would, if he would, uh, if he would come tomorrow, I wouldn't have any grandchildren in heaven. And if he comes in 100 years from now, then, Lord willing, I'll have several generations in heaven. So God's in control, and I'm, I guess the point is I'm happy to leave it up to him. He knows, he knows when to come. <clears throat> he knows how long he should wait. And I think it's interesting here that uh, he mentions some, some um, letters from Paul, like they would have passed these letters around the churches and I just thought that was neat that it was referenced there a little bit. And I think the, it says the unlearned and the, um, if I find it here, the unlearned and the unstable wrestle with these. And I, I used to kind of wonder about that, that maybe that means that, you know, an un, or a young Christian or somebody who's not very mature would wrestle with that a little bit. But I think it means those that are not believers, those that are unlearned and unstable, that sounds like unbelievers or false teachers or whatever, they wrestle with them, not as in wrestling with them in, like sometimes we wrestle with something like, how can I understand this? Like I don't quite get it and I I wrestle with it trying to understand what the point is. I believe that they're wrestling with it trying not to believe it, (laughs) trying to come up with reasons why they should, how they can explain it away or that they don't have to believe it. So, um, this book, I believe, um, I don't know, it's a, it's a book of reminders, of warnings and encouragement, I guess, to, to sum it up. A reminder to have faith, to exercise your faith in how you are living, to put on the fruit of the Spirit. It's a reminder to trust God's Word, a reminder of the great and precious promises that we have as a result of our faith. And it's a warning a warning to watch out for false teaching, teaching that does not lead to holy living, and a warning of what will happen if we pursue the false teaching, a warning that Jesus is coming back and we need to live as though he would come back today. And it's a book of encouragement, encouragement that we have peace in Christ. Encouragement to look for the new heaven and earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And it's an encouragement to not give up, to be diligent in our faith. <clears throat> and I want you to, I want to leave you with the last two verses. And I think, yeah, I guess I'll get to those. But there's, a, I guess, a couple things that you can take from the message today is that don't be discouraged with the second coming. Jesus will return. It will happen. Look at it like Peter and consider that each day that he waits is another chance for salvation. And yeah, 2,000 years is a long time, but I think in perspective, um, well, 100 years looks a lot shorter to me now at 35 or 34 than it did when I was, you know, 15. And I think when I get to be 75 or 80, if I make it that long, that the years are going to seem like they fly by even more than they do now. 
<clears throat> but account these 2,000 years as the long-suffering of God. The days go by quickly, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. And consider yourself, here's another thing um, that I want you to think about. Consider yourself and make sure that you are squarely in the center of peace with God. Here's the final words that we have of Peter. And this is his summary of the book, I believe. Verses 17 and 18. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, or seeing that, you know, you know these things, I'm just reminding you. Beware, lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. So beware, watch, um, think critically about teaching that you hear. You know, sometimes we are kind of, um, well, so I, my drill, I have a, a Milwaukee drill, and it quit work, and it started, like, the gears, and it started grinding, <clears throat> and I took it in to get fixed, and they were looking at it, and they're like, oh, this is last year's model, like, we have a newer one, a better one that we could sell you, well, you know, whatever, I, I don't know if it's better, but it's a newer model, and that's, that's how things are on, here on earth, like, we get better things, we get newer things, and sometimes it's tempting to do that with the old, old story, it's hard to be content with that Scripture never changes. It's a good thing that Scripture never changes. But sometimes we want to be on the cutting edge of the newest teaching or the newest thing or whatever. And Peter's saying, seeing you've, you've know Scripture and, and you know these things, beware lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. So watch and be careful. And then, verse 18, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. So, don't go over here to the false teaching. Go over here to growing in grace and in the knowledge of God. That, I believe, would be keeping you in the center of the peace that, that he offers.